Welcome to The Shed Wireless, a podcast for shedders. Produced by the Australian Men's Shed Association and hosted by John Paul Young. Hello Shedders, I hope you're well and I really mean that. Welcome to a bit of Shed-inspired distraction from the worries of the world, especially if you're doing it tough in lockdown at the moment. As Michael Caton, one of our patrons, says in our little promo, shed all your cares and worries away and listen to the Shed Wireless. He's on the money. I've got a lovely email from a Shadow to share with you in a minute, but this is what's in store in this episode. First up, you'll hear from a Shedder, who was one of the first in Australia to get COVID early in 2020. He actually didn't think he was going to survive. Thankfully, he did, but I think you'll be really interested to hear how he's going almost 18 months later. Oh, and he builds model ships too. On the tools in this episode, something a bit different. No fancy tools required. Just some inspiration behind a super simple project you can do in your home shed. It's all about native bees. You'll hear how our guest Shedder had all his beliefs about bees turned upside down. In Ask the Doc, the phenomenon known as man boobs, doesn't every bloke get those as they get older? Mine mine are certainly bigger than... When I was a teenager, I can tell you that. Is there anything to worry about? Well, we'll find out. Our bonus shedder in the spotlight will tell you about a project to restore an old Melbourne tram. Very exciting. And our special guest is a man who knows how to make your cracker smile. That crazy Irishman, Jim Owen. There's plenty to keep you entertained for a while here on the Shed Wireless podcast. So let's get into it. You're listening to the Shed Wireless with John Paul Young. It's a podcast for shedders, so shed all your cares and woes and listen in. Yeah, there's something for you at the men's shed. This is from the mailbag. Hi to the Shed Wireless team. Have just finished listening to your latest edition, Another Cracker. Well done, team. It's all very easy listening and pretty captivating in terms of the range of topics and depth of coverage. In regard to a possible topic, a couple of years ago at our shed, we had a local practitioner, a physiotherapist, talk to us about the importance of maintaining one's balance in later life and gave us ideas about standing on one leg at a time which tends to keep the tendons and leg muscles in tune as they are major performers in keeping one's balance. He also went on to say that once we are confident that our legs are working well, then to stand on one leg and close our eyes. And let me tell you, it's scary. But (laughs) we need to be in a narrow passageway or close to a counter, something to grab just in case you keel over. And I've tried this and I tell you what, it's not as easy as it sounds. Anyway, it's just a suggestion as it created a lot of interest at the time and some of us practice his regime on a regular basis. Again, thanks for today's broadcast. That's from Vic Brown at uh, Umina Beach Men's Shed Incorporated. And that is a really good idea, Vic. If you'd like to send me an email, just write to the shed wireless at menshed.net. Our shedder in the spotlight in this episode is 74-year-old Tom Wolfe, a member of the Waverley Men's Shed. And uh, how are you doing, Tom? Good, thanks. I'll be 75, in fact, in on Saturday coming next. 
happy birthday to you, mate. And uh, that's that's great. You know, it's uh, it's always it's always a chore getting old, isn't it? Oh, but it's the uh, the option's not worth contemplating. <laughs> exactly. Now, Tom, you build model ships. Uh, that's that's my hobby, pastime, whatever you want to call it. Yeah, although I've done a few commercial jobs, I, I'm basically just a hobbyist. Uh huh. So, are these uh, are these things that you build from scratch? Both scratch and from kits. Uh huh. Um, the I'm actually belong to a club called the Sydney Model Shipbuilders Club. Oh yeah. And um, we meet on a very regular basis, pass on skills and experiences. It's a multi-skill club, I guess you'd call it. Uh, we build timber, plastic, uh, you name it, we build it. Uh, we build from square riggers, the old period ships, to modern modern ships. They're all models. The biggest model that as I'm aware that anybody in the club has built is about four foot in the old terms, I think. Most members of the shed, most shedders will understand that. And, uh, yeah, the, I've taken it seriously since about 2000. Before that, my first model took me 29 years to build. My first real model. I mean, I did plastic aeroplanes and that kind of thing. And I also used to fly radio control aeroplanes. Gave that away because I used to carry them home in an auto bin most of the time. <laughs> Uh, the one good thing about model ships is that well, when you don't, unless they're radio controlled, you, they don't go anywhere near the water and you don't have to worry about taking them home in bits and pieces. Terrific. Now, do you take some of those skills into the shed? What sort of things do you do when you're in the shed? Well, I, I my current role, I'm, I'm at the Waverley Shed, which is the Sydney Shed, basically Bondi Junction rather than Waverley. It's only about a kilometre out of Bondi Junction. So you can imagine at the moment it's all closed up and locked up. I actually started the first day I went to the shed, the day the shed opened to the public for the first day is when I joined. I, I took a model ship in there to start and, if, and I finished it shortly after I came out of hospital uh, last year. Oh, yeah. Now that brings us to, uh, you know, something that's... Uh quite current and uh, quite an amazing story that you've you've actually contracted COVID-19 already. Yeah, I was one of the first, actually, uh, because it only arrived in Australia. You might remember the Ruby Princess episodes and, and what have you. That was in late March, and I was diagnosed as COVID on the 6th of April. Now, I was not a passenger on the Ruby, not this time. I've been a passenger on the Ruby before it so happens. I developed, and at that stage, it wasn't a symptom, a known symptom, I should say. Um, I developed a loss of taste and diarrhea at the beginning of April. And for about five days, I just struggled along with it. I didn't like it. I rang the local doctor. I even went down to the local doctor surgery, which you could only do by appointment in those days. Did the face-to-face -face with the doctor, passed the, uh, all the tests about flu symptoms and temperature and, and everything else, no problems. I just had these this diarrhoea issue. And yeah. uh, the local GP gave me some anti-diarrhoea tablets because obviously she didn't know that it was a symptom either. Um, and then on the 6th in the afternoon, I developed fairly strong headaches 
And I had by that stage in the five days lost seven kilos in weight. I'm a big bloke. So seven kilos for me is a great, it's a gain rather than a loss. I went in expecting to be put on some drips uh, just for overnight. Uh, I was taken in by ambulance. Didn't know I had COVID, so I told everybody I didn't have COVID. Um, they put me on a drip and I drifted off to sleep. And I strongly suspect there was something more than just uh, uh, some sugar, sugary stuff in there. Um, I woke up to in a dark room. I could I just hear two voices, obviously two doctors doing a changeover, and one saying to the other, here is a 73-year-old, as I was at that time, here's a 73-year-old man uh, with cardiac and diabetes issues, um, and uh, is positive on COVID, and we don't expect him to survive. Wow. Right, so that's the first I knew that I was positive. Wow. I mean, you've been an amazing guinea pig, uh, you know, for, for our listeners. You know, you, you, you really are one of the early, the early uh, issues of, uh, of COVID-19. And, and, and some of the symptoms are still there with you, aren't they, Tom? Yeah, I came out of hospital. I was happy as Larry. I was there for 19 days, 14 days in ICU, five days on a ventilator. Uh, and um, I came out of hospital thinking, hey, I'm one of the lucky ones, walked out. Uh, of the hospital, no, no issues, but very weak. I, yeah, on top of the seven kilos I lost before I went in there, I lost seven kilos whilst I was in there, so fourteen kilos. I was, um, wow. I was barely able to walk, but I walked. I made it out on my own. I didn't go out in a wheelchair. Um, got home, everything was fine. You know, I put my weakness down to weakness. Yeah. And I was interviewed by a number of people, you know, both um, newspaper and also radio and media. Um, I've had a number of interviews and I've told them all I'm lucky. I've got no, no, no problems. And then bit by bit, I noticed that everything was coming good. Unfortunately, my weight returned, most of it. But everything was good, except I was having problems breathing. So uh, I, anyway, I was, I was part of a, a research program at St Vincent's Hospital here in Sydney. I, uh, by the way, I've got, to, I've got to put an ad in, uh, a plug-in for these guys. The staff at St Vincent's, the nursing staff, the doctors, I owe my life to them. I'm grateful. Uh, there's no way I can ever say anything um, bad about them. In fact, all I want, just every time I want to publicly acknowledge and thank them for everything they have done. Yeah, it's a wonderful thing to do, Tom. I think uh, too many times uh, people look from afar when it comes to uh, uh, our, our medical profession and um, and have a lot of things to say about it. And it's not until you've been through something like you've been through then you really appreciate the professionalism of these people. It's uh, we, We're so lucky. But the worst part about it, you know, John, is to me they're anonymous. Yes. When you go in for, normally into a hospital, you get to meet your doctors. You get to meet your nurses. Mm-hmm. Um, you get visitors. Well, all I saw, and I must say I fell in love with, 20 sets of pairs of eyes. Beautiful. I saw nothing but their eyes. Yeah. And the compassion, the kind words. Um, I told my doctors to do away with me. I'll be totally blunt with you. I was in a mental state where I thought, I'm not going to come out of this. I might as well get it done, get it over and done with quickly. 
Oh my god. Um, and I actually it's on hospital records. I asked them to, yeah, if it's gonna if it's gonna happen, I might as well have it happen now, please. And yeah, that's it. Uh, in fact, I didn't take any phone calls from my wife, who was not allowed to visit, because I did not know, and I say this as openly as I can, I did not know how to say goodbye to her. So anyway, I survived, and I'm out. Um, I, we, both my wife, my wife also had the COVID. In fact, she probably gave it to me. I had been self-isolating at home for uh, four weeks, totally at home, never left the house um, for First two weeks of that, my wife was working, and then she came home uh, to work from home. But she still had to go to the shops to do the shopping. Set, uh, to, to do the shopping, Bondi Junction was a hotspot, and anyway, so she. But she was able to isolate at home and survive without what I went through. I'm working on about sixty-five percent lung capacity, and this is apparently not an unusual uh, feature of post-COVID. Um, I'm not Robinson Crusoe. Uh, it does limit the things I can do. doesn't limit the things I want to do. I've never liked to sit back and just watch time go by, um, which is why modelling, uh, which is why the shed. I mean, the shed saved my retirement. Yeah. Um, joining the shed absolutely saved my retirement. Uh, the Waverley Shed, uh, which I belong to, in fact, I'm currently the president, uh, of the shed um, is uh, functions three days a week. I'm there those three days. Um, on the other two days, uh, I help out in a nursing home um, at Borkloos, uh, which is very, very close to the east, you know, it's in the eastern suburbs of Sydney, close to where I live and close to the Waverley Shed, um, relatively. Um, and um, I run a men's shed or men's cave there as well for the uh, for the residents. Oh, what a wonderful thing to do. It's a retirement village as well as a nursing home, and the men are outnumbered something like six to one, and I like to think that I'm giving them an opportunity to uh, get away from the girls and be able to be uh, to be blokes. Yeah, that's, that's fantastic. I, I don't think there's enough uh, attention paid to that side of... Uh of uh, nursing homes and retirement villages and uh, well done. I think I, I, you're absolutely right. I, I, I firmly believe there should be one in every every retirement village or major retirement. Yes, I think uh, I think actually the Australian Men's Shed Association is uh, is working slowly towards uh, achieving that. Well, I, I, if, 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 if anybody wants to uh, experience what we do, they're welcome to come down to uh, this shed. Um, the owners of the uh, nursing home set it up from the outset, from the time that the nursing home was built, or the retirement village was built. Uh, I know the owners, and uh, I said to them, I'd like to be a volunteer, and they said, good, you can run our men's shed. And I've been down there. Uh, we've got, on a regular basis, six to eight guys who come down, have a cup of coffee. They don't actually work. It's, it's strange. You know, as the Waverley Shed, I'll be there tomorrow. <laughs> you, mate, you'd be welcome. You'd be welcome. <laughs> you mentioned I don't have to work. I love that. Uh, well, you know, at the mansion, you've got, to, you've got to beat people over the head because we've got a rule that you must take lunch. We must have a communal lunch break. That's, the, that's one of the rules of the Waverley Shed, right? Uh, 4.15, tools down, everybody 
gets together on the patio and we talk. And even if you don't want to talk, you're participating and it's part of the what we call our men's health initiative, mm. which is what we're about. That's what well, we're about. I, I, got, I got to say thank you. It, it's a very inspiring story that, uh, you know, that, that you've told. And, uh, uh, you know, obviously I think uh, there's a little note here that says, despite what you've been through, it just feels good to be alive. Oh, and every minute of it. Every minute of it. I'm, I'm, I, like I said, I'm, I'm happy to be uh, upright. Yep. Smelling the, smell the roses from the, uh, from the bud, not from the stem. Um, I have a very loving wife, very caring family, um, great children, grandchildren. Uh, they're all fantastic. Yeah, I really hope to um, help people get through this period. When I was asked to come and talk to you, one of the considerations I had was, well, this is going to be listened to by shedders all around Australia. Some of them are much worse off than I am, and I, and I acknowledge that. But if any of them think and tend to think that this is no joke, that COVID is just the flu, please let me change their minds. Yeah. This is no joke. This is, I mean, I've lived through some tough experiences, both physical and mental. Um, I mean, my background is I'm a refugee. Uh, I came to Australia uh, from a, a revolution or an internal war where as a 10-year-old child, I saw dead bodies all around me. Um, I know tough. I lived in a refugee camp. Uh, you name it, I've been there. Well, Tom, I, I, I really got to th- thank you so much for this. It's uh, it's 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 been a, a wonderful chat, and uh, especially uh, talking about the uh, the COVID nineteen and uh, and your your outlook on things now, and it, it it is indeed inspiring. And and I hope people take notice of what you've said about this not being a and flu. And get the vaccine, get vaccinated, please, please. Thanks, Tom. Bye then. Bye. On the tools. On the shed wireless. With John Paul Young. So far in this season of the podcast, we've taken a look at CNC routers, wood turning, dust extraction, and spiral cutters. All of them totally new to me. If you've missed any of those, they're all freely available for your listening pleasure. You'll find every past episode online at menshed.org or wherever you listen to the podcast. But this time on the tools, get ready for an easy project you can get stuck into at the Men's Shed or at home. Did you know there are something like 2,000 bee species and most of them live underground? Well, here we go. We're going to talk to Gavin Smith. He's a shedder in the inner west of Petersham, Gavin, I'm told you have a great passion for bees and in particular native bees. Is that right? Tell me all about it. Yes, I started with native bees quite by accident. I knew nothing about them. I knew nothing about bees. My main concern was to do with gardens and soil and uh, worms and growing compost. So I was invited by uh, a very uh, wonderful inspirational man called uh, Michael Mobbs to visit his home when he was going to open his beehive. Now, he, he's, he's another inner city bod, lives down at Chippendale. 
When he said he had a beehive, I said, you've got to be joking. You've got such a small backyard. How can you fit a, a beehive in the, in, in the inner city, in the backyard? And he said, well, you see the hive. It turned out to be a, a tiny little hive. And inside was the most amazing spiral I've ever seen. And I tasted this incredible honey. And so I was introduced to one of the Australian native honeybees, which is a tiny black bee, and we call it sugar bag bee. That was the beginning. I was hooked right from the start. And uh, I went from there to honeybees. And then as a result, I ended up with the solitary bees. I don't know whether you know much about bees, but it turned out there's about 2,000 varieties in Australia. So um, I started to do the research and look into it, and uh, it sort of took over my life. So I always warn people if they come anywhere near me, they're likely to get a second virus, and that's the, the bee, beekeeping virus. It goes into your brain. <laughs> so just let me get this right. You went from... From uh, from native bees to normal honey bees, and then back to native bees. Or is that is that what? The yeah, yeah. Well, it, it turned out there's two thousand varieties in Australia, wow. and of two thousand, there's only eleven that make a hive. So the thing that really struck me was that number one, most bees don't make honey. <laughs> number two, seventy percent live under the ground, and the rest live in holes and don't make hives. So it's like, oh my God, what are they talking about? All my, um, yeah, all my beliefs were turned upside down. And so that was that was when I started to look into it, and uh, I've met other nuts as well as along the way. So all the yeah, entomologists, you're, you're, you're kind of being uh, the, the the government for these native bees and uh, and doing something about the homeless ones. The thing that really got me uh, upset was the fires, of course. Uh huh. And uh, I was first contacted by a young beekeeper who'd lost hundreds of hives. He sent me videos of his um, the devastation that he had experienced. And uh, the videos that he sent me, I really couldn't make public because he was in such despair. I thought, this poor guy's going to do something stupid. You know? mm. Anyway, then he sent me another one where he was out in the bush with his little boy checking out the hives and... Uh, a little boy found some of the hives that hadn't been completely burned. And there was a whole change in attitude. And when I spoke to him, he said, I said, what can I do for you? And he said, oh, I just need to um, to have new hives to put these poor cooked bees into. So that's when I started this thing called the Bee Emergency. And I got the men's sheds to make beehives. And then I said, well, how about we make... Uh, habitats for the bees that normally live in trees uh, and, and reeds and all the other bits and pieces, the native ones, the solitary ones that are our native plants are so dependent on. So that got me started on building habitats for the native bees. So how big how big is a, a native bee hive? I've got you've got to get out of the mindset that bees are living in hives. <laughs> But they, it, the honeybee, the honeybees, you know what they look like, but the little black bees, they live in hives. They're about a foot high and about, it's basically 300 by 200 by, or about 200 deep. Yeah. But they, they, that's, that's the actual native honeybees. You can provide holes with bamboo and drill holes. And this is where the mentions come in. If you use scrap wood, you can drill 
lots and lots of holes. The bees will come in and they'll populate those and lay their eggs in there and uh, you'll have a new a new population for the next season. But you, you can't actually get any honey out of it. It's just a matter of pollination. It's the pollination which is the, the most important thing. So what about this friend of yours? I mean, he had honey in his... Uh... Oh, yeah, well, he's a, he's a, he's a beekeeper. He's a, he's a honey beekeeper. He has a business you know, making honey and pollinating. I mean, we've, we've produced 200 hives for, for, for the, some of those blokes, so he's been distributing those. Well, I'm kind of keen. I've got, I've got a, you know, about a half an acre at home, and I'm kind of keen to, to, uh, to put a few uh, boxes in. You know, you, you've, re- you've already given me the dimensions: three hundred by two hundred by two hundred. And uh, believe me, I'll be going to my local mansion. <laughs> <laughs> now, listen, whereabouts are you? I'm uh, in Lake Macquarie. Oh God, yeah, yeah, fantastic. Yeah, well, that's the ideal habitat for all of these, actually. Uh, you can have, oh, I can just see it now. You can have honeybees, you can have uh, Australian native honeybees, and you can have native native solitary Australian right. bees. <laughs> well, I think I'd be more I'd be more interested in the native honeybees because um, <laughs> I'm, uh, you know, I, I mean, I don't mind getting my COVID injection, but I don't like injections from bees. <laughs> Not many people do, including including me. Uh, yeah. Yeah, so, yeah, oh, yeah, it goes with the job. <laughs> but, uh, yeah, the, the little guys, they, they're, they're vicious. They're really vicious. They're about four or five millimeters long. And if they're really, if they're really angry with you, they'll bite you. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Well, I'm really not, I'm not in a hurry to encourage any of them around my backyard, to be honest. I, I oh, no, no. Most of the time they'll sit on you and walk up and down and get in your coffee and, uh, yeah, or, yeah. Or well, even that's even that's not appealing. <laughs> <laughs> no, honestly, we've been sitting out there this morning waiting for this call, and uh, sure enough, straight into the coffee. Well, <laughs> uh, yeah, the actual making of the of the habitats for these little for all the other bees, just drill holes in any wood you like. Yep, and then put it under cover and in the morning sun. Make sure your holes are have got to be at. 150 millimetres deep, and the size of the holes can go from three to nine millimetres, and you'll get different size bees filling up. Your and how, bees how deep, deep should I drill these holes? Yeah, they should be 150 millimetres. So you need a special auger bit in order to do it. Auger bits give you the length. Uh, I don't know how many I've busted, but... Uh, <laughs> okay, so auger bits... Any timber you like, as long as it's not treated. Uh, stuff that's um, offcuts. I use offcuts. I use fallen trees. I just cut them up, and you can hang them up. You can make them into little boxes and stash them full of bamboo. Anything that's got a hole in reeds, lantana, anything that's got a soft, pithy centre, and the bees will hollow that out and put their homes in there. Beautiful. Thanks very much, Gavin. Thank you very much. It's been most informative. And if you're keen to have a go at building a bee box like the one Gavin described, we've put a link in the episode description and some pictures on The Shed Online. That website is theshedonline at menshed.org. Got a question? Ask the doc. Professor Rob McLaughlin from AMSA Partners Healthy Mail. 
Okay, time for a bit of self-analysis. Is your chest still trim, taut and terrific? Or somewhere along the line, have you fallen victim to the phenomenon known as man boobs? There's actually a medical term for man boobs, but rather than me trying to pronounce it, I'm going to hand it over to Stuart and Professor Rob for an intriguing edition of Ask the Doc. Thanks, JPY, and hello, everyone. I'm Stuart Torrance, the Men's Health Project Officer from the Australian Men's Shed Association. We're also joined, as always, by uh, our Ask the Doc presenter, Professor Rob McLaughlin, Medical Director of uh, Healthy Male. Welcome, Rob. G'day, Stuart. How are you doing? Fantastic, mate. It's always good to have you here to talk about all, all these medical issues. Rob, let's just start by saying I've got some weight going on. You know, I'm getting older, yeah, and... Uh, yeah but it seems to be going on in the wrong place. And, you know, sometimes we call these things man boobs, and I'm not quite, you know, worried about it at this stage. But I'm thinking, you know, I did a bit of bodybuilding back in the day, and maybe this is just my muscle turning into fat. But it could also yeah. be something else, you know. I'm, I'm a bit worried. Could you sort of uh, fill me in, Rob, on what might be happening? Well, uh, you know, as you say, Stuart, when you gain weight, uh, and you, you get older, uh, it goes all, all sorts of the wrong places, on your bum, on your tummy, and something on your chest, and you get you know what look to be developing breasts. It could just be fat. Um, that is possible. Uh, it might also be a very common condition called gynecomastia. Uh, gynecomastia is the, the term, and uh, this really re relates to the growth of breast tissue, not fat, but breast tissue in the male. Uh, now, look, it's almost always benign. Uh, it usually starts like with a little sort of rubbery uh, swelling underneath the nipple and then gets bigger and bigger uh, and can spread, you know, to be quite quite obvious. can be a little bit different left versus right, but it usually develops at, in, at the same time. And it can be a little bit embarrassing. You're a little less likely to want to take off your, your, your shirt and jump in the pool because you feel the, you know, it's on display. Yeah, yeah. Uh, so it can cause anxiety. So there are two things. Is it fat or is it gynecomastia? Okay, let me stop you there. I can't even say the word. Gynecomastia. Okay, there's your word. Um, but it, we do need to use a special term because it's, it's not fat. And uh, as you uh, suggested, uh, you know, fat can accumulate on your chest and on your, on your breast area, and, and that's a different thing. Uh, so in any event, you know, you can't tell the difference necessarily just looking in the mirror or feeling it yourself because you don't quite know what it is that you're looking for or feeling for. So it's, it's important to get it checked out by the local doctor and he will or she will tell you uh, whether or not further investigations are needed to work out whether this is just fat or is it actually t uh, tissue. So the, the difference between uh, just fat and this gyno thing. <laughs> um, how would your, your, I think what you said before, it, was, it, it would uh, have a, a more solid feel. So yeah. uh, fat is, you know, if you grab your belly and, uh, and that's yeah. all wobbly, yeah. what would be the equivalent, say, uh, texturalized uh, feeling-wise? Sort of what, a soft rubbery or firm rubbery sort of feel, not... Not uh, as you say, more almost liquid-like, like fat is. Now, look, the thing about uh, this is actually can be part of normal life in a male. In a male, um, it's 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 it can happen at any age. Uh, it often happens when there are changes in hormone uh, levels, and uh, particularly say during normal puberty, 
about half of boys develop some breast tissue at that time because of the hormone surges during puberty. Now, it almost always settles down. It goes away uh, as puberty uh, advances, uh, but it can be very embarrassing for those young fellows at the time. Sometimes it persists, and that has to be an issue that's addressed in younger men if it does keep going after puberty. But in our age, in the older blokes, um, there are also hormonal changes as you get older, a bit of an imbalance between testosterone and estrogen levels, and that can encourage the growth of breast tissue. So about a third of older men develop, if you go looking for it, some gynecomastia. Now, most of them won't notice, won't care, nothing will happen. But for those in whom it's quite obvious, and that's what you were alluding to, Stuart, maybe it is obvious in you, <laughs> uh, they're going to want to have it checked out. And uh, again, uh, it's, it's not a concern in of itself, breast tissue. Uh, uh, it's really, it's, a, it's, it's, a, it's appearance uh, and, and what it makes you feel about yourself. It can be tender initially in some men, so there can be symptoms to it, but often it's just the, the appearance that's of most concern. But there can be some serious issues underneath. So we do have to talk about why it is important to have it checked out because there can be some, some hidden issues behind it which we have to explore. Okay, so the one thing that pops to my mind just now is you mentioned that uh, from the youth side of things, it can go away. Yeah. Can it go away in the older um, seniors that, that, that it gets? So it is treatable? Uh, yes, it can, it can go away on its own. Uh, and in some men, it, it, it can be treated. But perhaps we should talk about the, the causes beyond just, you know, getting older and having some slight hormonal issues. There, there are some, some drugs or some exposures which we know uh, can increase the risk. And you mentioned you used to go to the gym. So my first question is, are you on any of those things that gym people take? Because they can certainly uh, cause it. Um, uh, pot smoking, marijuana, uh, excessive alcohol, uh, social activities that people undertake, they, they can be behind it. There's a bunch of medications that we take for uh, depression, heart problems, blood pressure, stomach ulcers, antibiotics, some various cancer drugs, and some prostate drugs. So there are drugs which can have this as a side effect. So if, if uh, you were to find uh, a guy with this, you'd be looking to say, well, are you on any of these medications? And, you know, can they be adjusted or, you know, whatever? So there are, there are drugs. So you should always, of course, talk to your doctor about fiddling with your, your drug uh, regimen because uh, it may be quite unwise to do that. So I'm saying that there can be drugs. But there can also be chronic diseases uh, which we need to know about that can show themselves this way with breast tissue development. Liver disease and kidney disease, for example, and rarely some tumours of the testicle or of other uh, hormone glands like the adrenal gland in the tummy can cause it. So, you know, these are medical conditions which can, can show it. Uh, so there are things to look for, okay? So, so do these diseases um, mess up the, the testosterone levels in your uh, body? The balance, like yeah, yeah. Oh, okay. Yes, yeah. So, so um, uh, those medications I mentioned can interfere with the way testosterone acts or the balance of its action with estrogen and so on. Sometimes we don't even know the mechanism, but they're certainly on the list to look for. The other stand, standout condition that really is, you know, very clear a cause of gynecomastia is an interesting genetic condition, uh, which affects only one in about 500 men, but still, you know, that's a, quite a lot. It's a chromosome problem or imbalanced genetic problem called Kleinfelter syndrome. And about half of those guys 
with this extra X chromosome, which is the problem they have, show that show itself with quite marked gynecomastia and very small testes. So again, that's an uncommon cause, but another something else to look for. So you'll see, Stuart, that there are reasons to go asking questions before just dismissing gynecomastia as oh, just one of those things. Rob, I'm sort of sitting here now looking at a whole heap of uh, darts being thrown at me, um, thinking, you know, oh, crumbs. A lot of these things tick a lot of boxes. I've had a lot of medications in my past. I've had uh, treatment for different uh, uh, conditions in my life. Or, you know, could this actually be happening? But the other thing that really pops into my mind is breast cancer. I know it's very rare in men, but... You know, is is this a possibility for people with gynecomastia? Look, it's slightly more common in men who've had gynecomastia beyond those that don't. But itself, it's not a, a major um, a risk factor. And we have to realise that breast cancer, as you say, does happen in men. Maybe 100 Australian men a year uh, get breast cancer. So it's, it's only 1% of the total breast cancer load, which is clearly with the ladies. Um, so, you know, we can get it. We have breast tissue. We can, we can get cancer. And it, it's, it's, um, it presents different, differently. It's usually only on one side. It's usually uh, a, quite a firm or hard lump rather than a soft, rubbery thing we talked about before. You can get changes in the skin uh, or the nipple being held down by the cancer. Uh, you can have lumps in the armpit. It can spread quite quickly and quite locally. So it's, it's, a, it's a nasty condition. And as we often say in cancer, the thing is get it checked out early rather than late. So if you have anything by way of a firm or unexplained lump in either breast as a bloke, go straight to the local doctor and have it checked out. It's probably nothing, but it could be something and early is much better than late. I'm not saying it's 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 a major part of gynecomastia, but I'm telling men generally that we do get breast cancer and we need to act on it fast. So we were to check our, uh, our testes and now we've got to check our, our chest as well and our breast tissue. Yeah, so much to do, isn't there? So much to do in the shower. Why are you in the shower so long, dear? I'm just having a quick check. There you go. <laughs> okay, uh, well, this brings us to the point where, uh, Rob, I ask, you know, um, how is it treated? What, what can we do? Well... You know, if it's just mild, there are no serious causes, uh, it's not worrying you, it's not affecting your life, leave it alone. <laughs> On the other hand, uh, if it's, uh, you know, due to a medication or something we can reverse or treat or your liver or your alcohol or your pot smoking or whatever, we'll stop that or fix that, do the best you can, it might, it might go away. So, you know, if you've got a cause, then treat the cause. There are various drug therapies that can help. If it's due to having a, a low testosterone level and an imbalance with estrogen, then testosterone treatment for some men after proper hormone evaluation might be helpful. But for, you know, for those uh, who have uh, other causes, um, you can always resort to a surgical fix for uh, that, that which is so large and, and embarrassing, you want to do something about it. And, of course, we do have excellent surgeons uh, to look at cosmetic breast reconstruction because they are helping our partners all the time with those issues. So there's great skill base, if you like, to uh, out there for that. So, you know, you can access uh, uh, surgery if it's that much of a problem for you. Uh, in the early phases uh, where it might be a bit tender, 
uh, or whatever. There are some other hormone drugs which your local doctor won't use, but a hormone specialist might use. So it could be that if your local doctor is a bit concerned about the hormone balance, he'll send you to an endocrinologist for a review, and there might be some tablets to help uh, take some of the discomfort away, which can be a problem for some men. But on the whole, um, many people just go ahead with their business and don't are not concerned about it because it's more cosmetic than than medical as a concern. Wow. Okay. So there is something we can do about it uh, if they are concerned. Other than that, it's it's not life threatening from what you've just told me, um, and unless obviously breast cancer comes in into the mix. So it's it's more maybe you know how we feel about ourselves, the way we look uh, in front of the mirror. And for some people, that matters. Yeah, it does. It does matter a lot. Fair enough, too. I mean, uh, but uh, I would encourage people to just go to their local doctor and have this checked out by somebody who knows what to look for in terms of the possible causes. And there's great information on the Healthy Male website, too, about this to download for people to understand what I've been saying. And they can even they even tell you how to say the word, Stuart, too. They're actually a little, little phonetic spelling so you can, you can get it right with practice. <laughs> I often go to I often go to Google where it has that little uh, speaker box and I press that and I, I did I did um, you know try and say the word before we came on but uh, Rob as always very practical advice I don't think uh, I have anything uh, to really worry about at this point in time you've you've put my mind to rest uh, maybe all I need is a little bit uh, more exercise and uh, watch the food intake that I've you know, maybe indulging with lockdown and so on. Oh, uh, yes. But, hey, guys, if you are concerned about uh, any um, thing happening, uh, advances in your breast, chest tissue, uh, maybe you should go and take Rob's advice and go and see your doctor. Thanks again, Rob. Thanks for listening to Ask the Doc. Pleasure. For a great range of resources and tools to help you live well, head to the Spanner in the Works website. You can just search it up or go to malehealth.org.au. Everything you hear on The Shed Wireless is created to inform and is not intended to be a substitute for personal advice from your doctor. The Shed Wireless, a podcast for shedders. Produced by the Australian Men's Shed Association across Australia and around the world. Yeah, there's something for you at the Men's Shed. Our special guest for this episode is an Irishman who's been making people laugh for 20 or is it 30 years now. And God willing, or should I say COVID willing, he's back on tour in Australia because he says he wants to bring some joy into people's lives. Jim Owen, it's great to have you on the podcast. So were you always the funny guy? Funny to look at. No, I can be quite, I can be quite intense like the rest of us. Um, I sort of kind of verge either side of the, of the line either being funny or serious or i don't know in between or yeah. what about at school at school yeah i was a bit of an idiot really good um, yeah, snap <laughs> bit of a bit of a you know just carrying on it was all too it all happened to young school i could probably sail through it now but it was just taking the fun out of my youth <laughs> that makes sense, yeah. i you know my name is very like uh i have a double barreled name too like yes. yourself yes yeah. You know, like uh, mine is actually James Owen, uh-huh. James Owen uh, McKeown. Like you know, do you know uh, the the Olympic swimmer Keely? They say McKeown, but it's actually McKeown, as we say in Ireland. McKeown. 
Yeah, McEwen. That's it, yeah. The other girl, Emma McEwen, she's McEwen, but... Yes. Kaylee is spelt different, so they we say McEwen in Ireland. Yep. As in, like, yo, I have to try them. Um, well, you know, here we, here we have, I've got the same problem because my real middle name is uh, is what the Australians would call Inglis. But Inglis? In, yeah, but in Glasgow it was Ingles. Right. Yes. yes. There's loads of that, isn't there? Like, there's a yeah. Thing. Graham McDowell is, there's a golfer from my hometown. Yeah, but he's McDowell. Everyone's that's McDowell in Ireland. McDowell. So. <laughs> oh, well, you say tomato, I say tomato. <laughs> Let's call the whole thing off. <laughs> do you think? Do you think that people do forget about laughter as they get older? Uh, certainly, there's no shortage of grumpy old men out there. Um, you always seem good for a laugh. Every time I've met you, you always got a good smile on you. I don't know. It's it's the individual, I suppose, more than the 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 age. Uh, you do get a, a tendency to take things a wee bit too serious as you get older. Yeah. Um. Uh, I do anyway. But I think I, I think other people sort of throw caution to the wind too, don't they? Yeah, I was asked to do that. You know, that, uh, letter to sixteen-year-old self. You know that thing that they do. Oh yes. You know. Yeah, but. I had it the other way around, where a letter, sixteen-year-old letter to me now, going lighten up for God's sake, <laughs> yourself so seriously. Um, I think it was much more fun at sixteen uh, than I am now. But then the weight of the world falls on you. Yeah, so. true. I think my sixteen-year-old self would would open up with, "Well, you didn't think you'd still be alive, did you?" Yeah, yeah. That's, yeah. that's the other option. We're still hanging in there. That's, yes, that's we the are. You know, and you're fifty-five-ish now, aren't you? Do you yes. feel like you've changed much over, say, the last ten years, or do you like being middle-aged? I just, I just haven't accepted it. I think I'm twenty-six. Uh-huh. I just, I just feel that, you know, I was talking to some. You know, these like, do they still think you've got it? Like, I was talking to this girl on Zoom or something, and she looked fantastic, but I'm talking to her like I've still got it. But then I could see, I could see that little square of me, you know, in the corner where you can see yourself. And, you know, I had triple chin or the camera wasn't a good angle. That's never good, that FaceTime shot. Never. And uh, I just sort of, I kind of need that. When I'm talking to, when I'm talking, when I'm out talking to people that are younger than me, I just need a little square of me looking back at myself. Just that's, the, at me going, that's the percentage of you that's still young. Yeah, you're in your 50s, you're balding, you're at a nightclub, wise up. <laughs> yeah, look in the mirror. Put a shirt on. Put a shirt on. <laughs> now, now, this is uh, the Shed Wireless, and we do it you know, on behalf of uh, all the men's sheds around the place. Um, do you have a shed, Jim? It's a very small shed, yeah. Uh huh. I have a little tiny, it's kind of like that pathway at the side of the building. Uh-huh. I have a garage. Um, well, but that, um, yeah, yeah, that, uh, that's but okay. But not ideally set up like for that tinkering that, uh, that people sometimes, men, I see some men's sheds and go, wow, this is, this is fantastic. This is, um, but I'm never really, because I'm, I'm on the road right now. I'm in Harvey Bay. I don't know where you are. Where are you? I'm at Lake Macquarie. Right. So you, don't, you don't know where that is. 
I do know where Lake Macquarie is. Oh, you do? Uh, it is. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It is. Uh, Lake Macquarie is north of Sydney, is that right? Yes, it is. And just south of Newcastle. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I've been through that yep. area loads of times. So um, you're in Harvey Bay. You must feel like a young man in Harvey Bay. Yeah. <laughs> you're looking at me going, I'm getting wolf whistled. Um, but yeah, I was, I was in Darwin and, um, you know, I'm just running away from COVID. <laughs> running away from my life. That's really what I'm doing. But yeah, so I had to drive, fly into Darwin and then get into a car and drive to Harvey Bay. Uh, from Darwin? We, no, from Brisbane, because Brisbane's in lockdown. <laughs> um, but yeah, so I flew from Darwin to Brisbane and then yeah. drove up here and got in late. And then I'm just, I'm here on my own because I'm supposed to be doing this show at the minute, but who knows, it might just... I just have to be thankful that uh, I've got away with what I got away with in the early part of this year. Right, so uh, the um, the recent lockdown in Queensland has, has affected your show up there in Harvey Bay? Uh, yeah, I'm doing a travel show. Um, it's kind of going around camping and going around caravan parks and just staying oh. outside. So that's the idea for the travel show. And they don't want to mention COVID. I don't know why. You know, it's like as if people would see it on the show and go, what's this? Oh, I catch it, this yeah. Going on. So for some stupid reason, they don't want to even mention it, but, you, you know, it's the white elephant. You're just, you're, you know, there's nothing you can do now, so. Yeah, very true. And I'm supposed to be going to the UK in October as well, so um, I haven't been at home for a while, so. So um, back to the old country? Yes, yeah, but you're doing England, Scotland and Ireland. So whereabouts in Ireland are you from? Uh, I'm from halfway between Belfast and Derry on the coast. We could see Mulligan Tire from, from you know, remember Mulligan Tire? Yes, I do. I do. Too, yeah. One of my favourite DJs of the day um, did a, a send-up of Mulligan Tire and he called it Mulligan's Tires. <laughs> with treads on the inside. <laughs> treads with treads on the inside. <laughs> it was a very funny little ditty. Now, do you get? Do you 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 wouldn't get offended about? I mean, the Irish uh, do cop a lot when it comes to joke time. Uh, do you yeah, have a yeah, favourite Irish joke? Uh, I do. Like um, Patty and Mary get married, and on their wedding night. Mary jumps into bed, takes all her clothes off, lies across the bed and says, you know what I want, Paddy. And Paddy says, the whole of the bed, by the look of it. <laughs> Very good indeed. <laughs> Very good indeed. I mean, I, I, being Scottish, there's a lot of Scots jokes around too. And, uh, yes. You know, I, I, one of my favourites. So, yeah, there was a fellow in Glasgow a long, long time ago called Chick Murray. Yes. And uh, Billy Connolly related one of his gags, which always gets me, and it seems it's Olympic time, a bloke walking down the street with a very long pole, and uh, the Scotsman says to him, are you a pole vaulter? And he says, no, I'm Czechoslovakian. How did you know my name was Vaulter? <laughs> yeah, Connolly loved him, didn't he? Yeah. He used to quote, uh, copper wire came from... Two Scottish guys fighting over one P. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> oh dear. So when you leave Harvey Bay, what's next? Who knows? 
who knows uh, the future it's just chaotic is that still going the the tv show yeah yeah that's it's called waltzing jamone oh but, very uh, good and, yeah and that's gonna like us in waltzing matilda and we're gonna try and uh, it's supposed to go to air at the end of august so we have to really try and keep going with it yeah uh but the you know originally the, the crew that were involved in Sydney and the director they got locked in Sydney and then so we had to get another crew from Brisbane mm-hmm. <laughs> they're locked in Brisbane wow and it's just at the form where you just nothing surprises me anymore no God's like could come out of the sea in front of Harvey Bay here and I just go <laughs> typical bloody <laughs> typical <laughs> Well, it's been absolutely delightful talking to you, Jim Owen. And uh, I think the last time I saw you was at the Palais Theatre in Melbourne. Yes. Uh, the last time we met. And uh, and I'm really looking forward to catching up with you again one day. Yeah, likewise, Joe. You, 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 you have a good day. And you too. Jim Owen, See thank you. you very much on The Shed Wireless. Nailed it. Nailed it. Nailed it. Nailed it with Rip Woodchip. G'day, Shadows Rip Woodchip here. How are you all going today? I'm just out on me morning walk with little Charlie here. I love me morning walk. It's part of me daily routine nowadays. And the morning is the best time of the day, I reckon. I like to get out just as the sun's peeking over the trees. Bloody beautiful. I also get to watch all those poor bastards on their way to work, knowing that I'll be home in an hour sipping on me morning coffee, sitting in the sun, while they're going to have to wait until Smoko. <laughs> I'm a nasty bastard. But I've done my time, did it for over 50 years, and working on the farm, I was up earlier than this every morning, that's for sure. Yep, this is the best way to start your day, I reckon. Sometimes the only thing I don't like about me morning walk is going for me morning walk. Yep, it really would be pretty easy just to stay in bed some days, like this morning, it's frostier than me mother-in-law's reception. But I'm out here and I know it's the best thing for me. Because I know I'm going to have an infinitely better day if I go for me walk. Especially now I'm not working on the farm anymore. I don't get the exercise I used to. So it's a little bit of pain for a lot of gain. And as soon as I get going, I feel great. Just the 30 or 40 minutes a morning gets me blood pumping and puts me in a good headspace. I don't go doing any marathons or breaking any speed barriers or get me arms swinging around my ears like some of those other weirdos you see. I just get along at my own pace. Enough to work up a bit of a sweat, taking in the serenity and the fresh air, and listening to the birds waking up. It's a good time to think about what i got to do for the day, what I did yesterday, and contemplate life and the universe, etc. Three days a week, I go on my own, well, me and Charlie, and two days there's a group of us from the shed that go for a walk around the lake. But that's more of a bloody stroll, there's more exercise in the jaw than the legs. Yeah, there's a list as long as your arm of all the benefits of a daily walk, but I don't really care about all that stuff. All I know is it makes me feel good, and it'll probably make me live longer too. And that's got to be a good thing for everyone, right, fellas? Anyway, fellas, I'm almost home, and I've got to get a bit of pace up the driveway. It always excites the missus, you know. Catch you next time, fellas. See you guys. Come on, Charlie boy. Shedder in the Spotlight. Let's meet and learn about the life of one of our shedders. 
thought you might have a bit of extra time on your hands at the moment, particularly if you're one of the millions of Aussies who are in lockdown, like me, as we put together this episode of The Shed Wireless. So let's meet another shedder who comes from Mount Perry, an Australian gold mining town in outback Queensland. He's part of a men's shed with about 10 members who've been working on a pretty big project lately. They've been restoring a Melbourne W-class tram. Gavin Murray can fill us in. Good morning, Gavin. How are you? Good morning, John. I'm really good. Really good. Now, what? apparently you have a shed name, Gavin. What's that? A shed name. Oh, they, 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 call, they call me the token Kiwi. Oh, okay. Now, this uh, W-class tram, uh, it's... It's something quite close to my heart because my uh, apprenticeship was was uh, was in something pretty close uh, in uh, in the railways, uh, making uh, railway train well making trains, uh, the uh, Southern Aurora and the Indian Pacific, etc. But uh, trams have always fascinated me. Uh, I was uh, brought up in Glasgow and we had lots of trams there. And of course, by the time I got here, Australia had got rid of their trams. So, uh, how did this pro- project come about? Well, it, its genesis was uh, was around about 2018 when um, the Melbourne uh, Victorian Racing Club uh, issued a press statement saying that the, the Melbourne Cups tour would include um, Mount Perry because the the gold for the Melbourne Cup for that year was mined at the mine that's close to Mount Perry, Mount Rawdon. Um, so that was really exciting. It was interesting to look on the website and we saw that um, the Melbourne Cup was doing a tour of the world, which included uh, London and Paris and Mount Perry. So it was, uh, it was, was quite funny. <laughs> so at the same time, there was a, a call from, from the local mine to, to um, ask whether or not there was other projects that could feed into the, uh, the concept of this, this um, relationship with Melbourne. And coincidentally, at the same time, um, there was... There was a number of these old trams that um, came up for tender. Uh, there was 134 of them that uh, became available. They'd been retired for quite some years, and uh, organisations were asked to to uh, show interest if they were interested in, in restoring these trams. And um, we had a meeting at the men's shed, and uh, our president at the time, Nigel, he was um, uh, really uh, keen on getting that tram to Mount Perry, and we we put together a, a bit of a plan as to what we were going to do with it. And we waited, uh, I think, six months to get um, to get the response. And uh, lo and behold, we were the I think the only uh, organisation outside of Victoria that uh, were granted a tram. And well, I mean, that's uh, that presents its own problems. How do you get it out there to where you are? Um, we were, there was a an organisation down in Victoria that specialises in moving trams, and we got a hold of those guys. Uh, we raised some money here. It cost us, um, I think, nine thousand dollars to get the tram uh, brought up to Mount Perry, and so we uh, raised the money for that. We needed to build uh, a, um, a cover to put the tram under, so that we could work on it um, and keep it safe and secure while we worked on it. So we raised money for that. And um, great excitement in the town when the tram finally arrived on the back of the uh, semi-truck. And uh, a couple of cranes came out from Bundaberg to lift it off the truck and put it uh, uh, into position beside the men's shed. And then the, the, um, the cover was built over the top of it um, where it now sits. Now, it, it's, a, it's a fascinating project. And How long before you think you'll be uh, done and dusted? And then what are you going to do with it? Well, it's, we're a very small shed. We have uh, about 15 members, of which I think is, is normal that we have about a core group of about 
six or seven that that um, work on the tram. So it's a slow project for us. Uh, it'll take quite some time. We're uh, right now we're stripping the outside down, and we've done that. Uh, the tram we got was in amazingly good condition. A lot of the trams that were available were quite dilapidated with parts mm. missing. Uh, we were lucky that the tram we got was very much complete. Almost all of the hardware inside was still there, right down to the handrails, the grab rails, and all those things were still in there. So at the moment, we're stripping the outside down and getting it ready to paint, and that'll be done within the next couple of weeks. Um, and then once the outside's complete, and that's been quite a big job to to remove all of the rust and replace the bits of wood that, that uh, were dilapidated. Once that's done, we'll start work on the inside. The general plan is that the tram will become a tourist attraction for Mount Perry. The front part of it will be a virtual tour uh, of the mine and a bit of a history of the mine. So there'll be a, an audio-visual display there. The middle part will be an area used by one of the other community organisations, the Arts Group, and they can show some of their their creations. Uh, and the back part, uh, the thought at this stage is to turn it into a cafeteria that the the local general store and takeaway store can use uh, to serve coffee. The plan is to get the tram relocated into the main street of Mount Perry with the cooperation of the local council, have it become a permanent uh, attraction down there. Wonderful. Now the W class tram. Uh, now I'm I'm a bit ignorant when it comes to class trams and which ones are which. Is that similar to the one that they've got around Melbourne that's been converted to a restaurant? That's right. They're the, they're the one of the older original ones, not the very first ones. They're in service up to I think 1948, and then uh, then they they come on classes beyond that. So it's quite an old one. And you can you can tell by looking at it, it's quite a solid one. It's a fairly hefty beast. The uh, the workmanship in those in those things is is to be admired. It's just fantastic, isn't it? Everything is sort of handmade. You can see that every piece of wood was handmade, and every piece of steel was manufactured to go to go on it. And a lot of those things are, are still in great condition even now. Now, I, uh, you're in Mount Perry. A lot of people wouldn't have heard of where Mount Perry is. Uh, I had a look at the map, so you're Inland uh, between Harvey Bay and Bundaberg, but in inland. Yeah, we're about 100 k's inland from Bundaberg, yep. And you're very close to a little town called Monto. Yes, that's right. Yep, Monto is, is uh, one of our neighbours. A good a good friend of mine, uh, Michael Caton, who was in the castle. Oh, uh, yes, yep. Originates from, from Monto. Oh, so I didn't know that. Yeah, and uh, I've I've actually been to Monto, and there was a lovely old guy there who uh, he gave me this uh, little jiggy thing, and I can't even remember what the, what on earth it was for, but it was something to do with my belt. And anyway, uh, I've forgotten what it was for, but, but but I still have memories of being out that way on a variety bash. Now your past, Gavin, is quite astounding. You know, like you you know you really are a lucky star. You know, I've been everywhere, man. Uh, you've you know, you you're a, a diver, a dive instructor. From from a while back, I gave I've given up scuba diving now. I, I find um, putting the gear on my back is quite um, uh, intrusive and cumbersome. So I now free dive. I spend any time I spend in the water, I, I spend without a tank on my back and just free diving now. And what do you do? Do you go and grab lobsters and things? And yeah, lobsters and spearfishing is is normally my passion. Oh, that's wonderful. That's wonderful. Yeah, you, I mean, you, you've got a lot of experience in, in this area because you've uh, you had a 1968 Bedford bus that 
Yeah, and uh, you you must have uh, had had an amazing time in that. Yeah, we spent um, twelve years. Uh, we we set off on a twelve month circumnavigation of Australia, and twelve years later, we parked the parked the bus up. But uh, we went sort of round and round many times. Spent a lot of time over on the west coast and exploring the beaches and the reefs of the west coast, which is just absolutely amazing, absolutely fantastic from a diver's point of view. Uh, so. How does the shedding fit into your life now? Um, shedding's really important to me. I, I'm um, pretty new to the town. I joined the local men's shed in 2016, uh, just a few months after it was born. And the the shed life is, is really important to me. We, we meet um, Tuesdays and Thursdays uh, early in the morning. But being a new person in town, and if you're not a, a third-generation member of the town then you're still new oh you're um, a blow-in yeah absolutely you're a blow-in yeah I'd, i've yeah. been through this myself <laughs> <laughs> so so having a bunch of guys down there that um, that are really welcoming and friendly to everybody even kiwis uh, as, <laughs> as they would put it has <laughs> been really really important for me so um so i, I really enjoy going down to the shed and we, we've got a apart from the the tram project we've got other projects on at the moment uh, one of them is we're building a, a um, anniversary seat for the local school that uh, will commemorate 150 years of the local school. So there's a specially designed seat that will sit around a, a tree in the school. And we've got guys down there that have got a variety of skills. Some are really good at, uh, at metalwork and other guys are great at woodwork. We've got one guy that um, uses a forge and can make amazing sculptures and things using a forge. So we've got a forge down mm. at the shed now, and that's fantastic. Oh, incredible. I mean, that, that is actually something I, I'd love to do, but I think I've missed the boat on all of that. <laughs> Gavin Murray, thank you so very, very much uh, from the Mount Perry uh, shed in uh, in Queensland. And, uh, and we might uh, have a chat to you on the next episode, Gavin, uh, because something I haven't mentioned yet, you're an IT expert. I don't think there'd be too many of them in, in our sheds uh, these days. So if you don't mind, I'll talk to you on the next episode for a few tips. That's it for this episode. Look after yourself and don't forget, drop me an email to say good day and give me some topic and project ideas. Tell me what you've been up to lately in your shed at the shed wireless at menshed.net. I heard a lovely old gag on the, uh, on the TV the other day. And there was an explosion for us mechanically minded people out there. There was an explosion at the Nissan Motor Factory. And apparently it was raining Datsun cogs. If you've got any better jokes, send them in to me. Send them in to me. The Shed Wireless at menshed.net. It don't matter if you work with wood Or fabricating metal is the thing you understood Whatever is your game Everyone's the same Yeah, we can do it all at the men's shed Short, fat, tall, skinny, hairy, bald In the shed, it's welcome one and all Share the skills you know We're all having a go